Welcome to We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. I'm Lauren Lee, and I'm all about building communities, celebrating unique journeys, and sharing stories about the paths people have taken to enter the tech industry. Join me as we explore the skills my guests have learned in their prior jobs, schooling, or life experiences, and how they apply them to their current roles in tech. All right, let's do this and dive in. My guest today has her master's degree in opera and stage performance from the University of Dance and Music in Cologne, Germany. After finishing school, she worked as a soprano at theaters and concert halls all over Germany, and on the side, started up her own web development agency. Since then, she's moved to Norway and found roles in user experience design and has spent over a decade in product-related roles. Today, she's the VP of product at Vivio, where she rebuilt the engineering team from the ground up, redesigned the application UI, and took full ownership of Vivio's product strategy, in addition to her contributions to building the company itself. She's the founder of Rails Girls Oslo and self-identifies as a web rebel. Her name is Alexandra Lice, and I'm so excited to be talking to her today. Welcome, Alexandra. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be on the show. Oh my goodness, so happy to have you here. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Yes, we shall. Okay, so can you tell me more about the experiences that you had before you entered the tech industry? Yeah, so uh, as you stated, so I have a master's degree from uh, the University of Cologne, and uh, I spent five years costing the state a lot of money in one-on-one tutoring. <laughs> so I took that master's degree and I was freelancing while I was doing that already. So you do like the usual stuff, like church concerts, that's where you start with, and then uh, like larger concerts and like real opera productions. Mm. I've sung at tons of weddings. So you can still wake me up in the middle of the night and ask me to sing here on Ave Maria and I will be able to do that. It will sound terrible, but... It's ingrained in you. Yes, it is very much ingrained. Wow. Yeah, that's what I did for about 10 years up to me making that career switch. That's like my life was music. So since I was like, I don't know, like 10 or something, I was like doing high school musicals and all this kind of stuff. It was your passion and the way you were making money as well. Wow, that's yes. so cool. Yes, yes. So it's, a, it's not a lot of money in there. So uh, let's not <laughs> overstate that. <laughs> yeah. So... No, but you were living your passion. That's really neat though. That I was, yeah. And it, it's an intense experience. I don't want to miss that. Yeah, and I did a lot of, of children's theater, which is like really, really the best Aww. of doing because it's very cute and you can interact with the audience and they're fun and you can do pretty much what you want. It doesn't have to be logic or make sense. And as long as it's funny, it's, it's all good. So, yes. <laughs> what were your favorite types of performances to do in those, in that children? World? Well, we had, yeah, I, I had one production where I was playing a witch. So it was like a, a two women show, basically, where it's like, mm-hmm. it was with uh, an actress. I think that production actually taught me the most in like early on, where we were mm-hmm. both witches and uh, there was like this funny story about like me coming out of a fax machine like as as witches do (laughs) so to scold the other witch and it was just like it was very funny and the kids were like we were on a very tiny stage and the kids were basically sitting on the floor on that stage and we could like once you have done it uh, like enough times you start improvising during the show and the performance so we could react to but kids were shouting and their ideas and pick them up and that was really that was really 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 fun that was really fun. Wow. And it was also That's... lots of glitter. So I was always on <gasps> on the train. 
I took the train back from the theater after um, after shows, which were usually in the morning. So and I was covered in glitter, which was always like, what? Where is she coming from? Why is she like a trail? <laughs> yes. So yeah, but that was uh, fun times. Fun times. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So then mm-hmm. let's talk about that transition that you made. Then how yeah. did you decide to learn to code, and how exactly did you learn it? Yeah. So I've what I've been saying is like I I have been trying and failing to learn to program since I was 12. Mm-hmm. So that's when I got a book about Turbo Pascal. So it's, it's a very long time ago. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I never kind of wrapped my head around it. And also I didn't have any friends who were doing it. So it was just like yeah. me trying to figure it out from a textbook. And mm-hmm. still like my pet peeve with textbooks is that they have errors in the code samples and you can't <laughs> figure it out. Uh, that was before like internet. So it's not like, oh yeah, yeah I just Google this. So it never went really anywhere. Yeah. But then the the internet arrived and I made my first website in 1995 on a university Linux thin client. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was before CSS. So it's a long time ago. Um, it was orange and the text was centered and I was very pleased with myself. Oh, I that you were so excited. Yes, I was. I <laughs> what was. was the website for? Do you remember? Yeah, it was like, there's a German children's show. And that was at that time, like, I think like 25 years old or something. And uh, back in the day, we had those Usenet news groups where mm-hmm. you could like post stuff. And I was like asking people to uh, contribute to that site with just like their favorite quotes or something. And then I put it onto that website and uploaded it on the server somewhere in the oh, university. So- and I'm sure nobody ever looked at it, but it was a fun exercise and I was very pleased yeah, with it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, cool. So for a long time, it sounds like during those 10 years where you were pursuing music, you were also kind of running a side hustle of that yeah. web development company yes. that you had. Yes. And so you were kind of working full hours of your day doing these very almost polar opposite <laughs> roles, it sounds like. Um, yeah. When did you decide to make like the full time switch, if you will, or have you even? Well, so it, it took a while. So I had time to fill and like money to make basically because there is not a lot of money in freelance opera performances. Let's be honest. So um, you're like barely ever. I was barely ever like fully booked. So I just oh. had to find some ways to make money. And in early 2000s, there wasn't that many people who could build websites and maintain websites. So the first one that I took as a job was like maintaining a hand-rolled PHP site that someone else had built. And that just okay. needed to be kept up to date. And then I made like oh. tiny tweaks to how it looks and stuff but it was basically like I dug out what I knew so and during university I I couldn't afford like a proper computer so I had to Mm -hmm. set like build my own uh, Linux desktop machine and maintain that so I had to learn everything about Linux computers that I could possibly learn just to keep the lights on literally on that computer and then at some point it was just like yeah okay so I'm not making enough money I have to come up with something else so then I basically like brushed up on my uh, rusty HTML CSS knowledge at that (laughs) time and learned some CMS templating and yeah and I needed a website for myself so that was a very nice way of doing it and then yeah it was like in the middle of this web 2.0 craze uh, where everybody was just like scrambling to get it done. That was a very nice opportunity for me to jump on. Cool. No, yeah, yeah. sure. That sounds interesting. Yeah. So then talk to me about your switch into product and pursuing UX design and yeah. now maybe getting us to today at Vivio, you're the VP of product, which is such a badass role. And yeah, it sounds very glamorous. Sounds very glamorous. Let's talk about that later. The rules always do. (laughs) Yes. 
it's it's a bit of a um, how do I put it like it's a, it's a bit of a long winded road because so I, yeah. I I did the Linux work and then uh, when like first wave of social media so Germany is a bit behind the US obviously so mm. we hadn't got it a little later than everybody else there was like this social media movement where it's like suddenly that sounded like oh I know how to do computers I understand how the internet works I can build websites so mm-hmm. what can I do next yeah sure I basically saw that opportunity in social media and the community building and that I basically connected to my interests in Linux, especially like the Linux desktop world. But at that point was for me, because Germany was KDE was an obvious choice. I fear that I could help out with this kind of community building, which is like, like really the old school open source community building from the Linux world and connect that with this new world of social media. So I just popped my head out and said like, hey, I'm interested. I can do these things. Is there a need for this? And people were very interested. So I started doing that. And then... That was in, uh, I think, like 2006. I started doing that. And then this seemed to be an interesting niche. So <laughs> I gave myself a year basically to figure out if I could make this into a job because I was really not making any money. And I was like yeah. approaching 30 and I figured like it's, something has to change. Yeah. Yeah. And then in 2008, I landed a job as like the web community manager for Qt. That's why I moved to Norway. Cool. Oh, I see. So that basically got me the job. Yeah. It was a yeah. super long shot at the time. So I, I, when I sent the application, I didn't expect them to even call me back, let alone get the job. Oh, I got to shoot your shot. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. That's so cool. Yes. So, and then it, I basically went from there. But it's, it's funny though, because my job titles have constantly changed. Mm-hmm. I started as this web community manager because at the time they had like this, what they later called like the offline community manager. So like the mm-hmm. more classic one that what do we consider today more like classic developer relations. So mm-hmm. go, going to conferences and keeping in touch with open source communities because so Qt is a, is a C++ library development framework. And that was used in KDE to build all these desktop applications. So I was like, mm-hmm. there was a big hiring pool and adoption pool for us to work with these communities. And I had worked with them before. And then my role was basically to take that online and build out proper developer website for exactly that purpose for that audience yeah yeah so I joined that team and that's like I've been doing the same thing ever since it's just like in all those roles yes (laughs) yes so I was called UX designer interaction designer product designer but it's like it's always been the same stuff so I'm still doing more or less the same thing. I think that's a really good thing for listeners to hear, though, because I've noticed some folks can get obsessed with the titles or want something particular, mm-hmm. but there's some flexibility between every single company of what these things are, too. So you really have to kind of yes. do your due diligence and research when you're applying for roles, then that means also. Yeah, that's one thing. But it's also like once you have a job, it doesn't mean that that is exactly what it says in the job description. Exactly. So there's always yeah. a bit of wiggle room to move, mm-hmm. especially in my case it was really easy also to change titles and make yeah. stuff up as I went because and pursue yeah yeah because I was like it was very clearly needed that there needed to be more of a new ex focus than we had at that time so I was like oh fine mm-hmm. I'll just learn that I can learn stuff yeah. and so I did and then I applied it and learned more stuff while doing that and then I kind of got a job that had UX designer as the title, but I still kept more or less doing what I did before, just with a different focus. Well, it's a cool way to discover what the company is needing or what areas they're Mm -hmm. curious to pursue and there's a gap in. Great. That's a way to climb the ladder or even make yourself, you know. Yes. Basically learn new skills while you're being played, which is beautiful. 
Yeah. yeah, super yeah. cool. And a cool part about this industry, I feel as though that's rather unique and something really feel lucky about because we're always learning. We're constantly needing to be improving or building yes. upon our, our polio. So I think that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So mm-hmm. tell me about what you do today at Vivio. Yeah. So today at Vivio, I'm leading the product and engineering team. But it's like, it's a tiny startup. So we're a team of, including myself, five people. So it's a very hands-on role. So that's why it sounds very fancy with this VP title. It means that I'm part of the leadership. We're an an all-women leadership team in that company, which is like super rare for a tech startup. Oh my gosh. Well, that's pretty exciting. So so it can be done. It can be done. Yes. (laughs) So I I was brought in to basically put the product on the right footing and get the right people in and, and hire the right people that we needed at that point and rebuild basically that entire team from yeah. ground up. So, but I'm wearing like so many hats. I'm still doing design. Uh, I'm doing much more visual design than I should be doing because <laughs> there's people who are actually good at this. I'm just faking it. Um, <laughs> but I'm also, I'm writing CSS and I'm swapping against and uh, I'm doing like normal management, engineering management that is necessary. I'm doing the product yeah. uh, roadmap and strategy. I do customer development. So, but it's like, because it's yeah. such a small yeah. company, everybody has to do like a lot of things. Yeah, That's it's incredible. I'm really impressed. That that being said, that doesn't mean that I'm equally good at all these things. So it sounds like really impressive. There's a lot of things that I'm doing really, really poorly, but it's better than them not getting done. Basically. Definitely. You're seeing that it needs to happen and you're stepping in. Yeah. I think that's really cool. So tell me, Alexandra, what would you say kept you from entering tech before you did? So it's, like, it's a bit funny because in some cases, I totally overvalued formal education. Mm. So it's a very German, German thing. So I thought like I would never be able to get any kind of job in the tech industry without having a CS degree. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing that stopped basically me stopping myself. But then there was also like a lot of gatekeeping. So I was able to basically configure Linux systems as I went along. And I learned that as I, you know, you buy a book and then you look it up and you learn things. But there was always someone telling me, yeah, but you don't know how to program in C or have you ever compiled your own Mm -hmm. kernel? So there's always like this constantly moving goalpost. So I never felt like I was good enough. Right. But it also started way earlier when when I was done in school, I was considering a CS degree because I thought like computers are cool. I would like to learn more about those. Yeah. But especially like my male friends kept telling me like, no, I was not good enough at math and I would never make it anyway. And so I shouldn't even bother. Of course, I didn't know anybody who did that. So I could not ask anybody's like, oh, so you're studying computer sciences. How is that actually? Is it hard? Do I have to do a lot of math? Um, So there was a lot of like, ah, but that's not for girls. Why are you even considering this? Also, remember, it was like late 90s. So it's it's Mm -hmm. a long time ago. I think stuff is changing at least slowly. So that was my way of not doing it. So basically, I kept myself from taking that job. Well, you kept yourself, but society did as well. Like the patriarchy contributed to yeah, that. Yeah, obviously, sure. I mean, we don't, we, none yeah. of us lives in a, in a vacuum, but I, I was mostly no, in my sure. own way in that. My goodness. Well, I'm so glad that you conquered that and made your way into it because it sounds like you're killing it and such a cool role model too. Like you're doing it all. So, so glad that you were able to push past that and find it eventually. I would agree. I would agree. Also, it's like, I actually can pay rent now. 
It's very nice. Heck yeah. I'm all about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We talk a lot about on the show about like, how do we get that money? Like, how mm-hmm. do we make sense of it so that we can fix that gap that is yeah. there and how to yeah. contribute to that? So, okay. So can you tell me how your past as a musician and how did that help you? Does it help you today in your role as doing it all? Vivian? Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that you learned that at some point you have to just go for it. So that is like, mm. I would say an important part because if you can't prepare all you want, at some point there is the premiere or the concert and yep. then yeah. it has to be good enough. So that is one of the things that I'm definitely leaning on a lot. But there's also like the the aspect of improvisation and the cooperation with others, because I, I don't know if you have any idea how you put up an opera performance, but there's tons of people and everybody has to play their role and you have to pay attention to all of them. If you're on stage, you're totally dependent on, for example, stage workers who are not the most glamorous people you can imagine. But you have to value them and you have to trust them because they are the ones that are like lifting heavy stuff over your heads. Yeah. And you like you get this feeling of like this is a big machinery and if they are not there, I'll be nowhere. Yeah. The dependency upon each other. Yes. For sure. Yes. And then like the improvisation and reacting to your colleagues and like live performances in particular just keep you on your feet. So you yeah. can't just like rely, rely on, oh, we've done this uh, 500 mm-hmm. times that way. We'll do it like the 501st time exactly the same way. Never works that way. Mm-hmm. Especially in a startup that where I work today, like everything changes constantly. So you just have to keep adapting. But the most important thing I think I learned from being a musician is the self-directed learning and the ruthless focus mm-hmm. on improving your skills, no matter what. And just banging your head against the wall until you are there so you get up you do your warm-up for your for your voice in my case and then you guys just keep working on that one culture that still isn't good enough even if you've done nothing else for the last six weeks mm-hmm. I've had those things where you just like keep chipping away at it and it, it requires incredible discipline but at some point it's just like it's a habit so I think that yep. is the, the biggest one. You just keep going. That's interesting. And then also like being comfortable with leaving your comfort zone. Mm. I think that is like, that is a, an important skill that you learn as a musician and just jump into scary situations because let's not kid ourselves. It is scary to stand on a big stage with a giant orchestra behind you. So the most scary thing that I did is uh, Queen of the Night in front of a packed hall of 3,000 people at a festival. Oh my gosh. And that That's is just so like, cool. there, the stakes are so high. Everybody hears if you don't hit the was top note and it's just like you just have to do it you signed up for it so you just have to do what Mm -hmm. you can and just forget Mm -hmm. about how scary it is Mm -hmm. after that most things don't feel that terrible anymore. That's true. Yeah. If you push past that, I mean, you survived. I love the idea of working to feel comfortable in the uncomfortable. Mm is a practice, right? It's something like totally throw yourself into those scenarios and only through that can you learn. That's really cool. What a great story. Do you still participate in music? Do you sing still in your life or is that something that is of your past? Well, I do. I I love karaoke. Oh, People don't love doing karaoke with me, but that's a different story. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, but I mean, (laughs) no, I'm not. They just think I'm so good. Oh my God. Thank you. But I haven't practiced. I stopped practicing when I took that full-time job and moved to Oslo because you can't have two full-time jobs. And it's like top athletes. If you don't keep up the practice that you usually have, it's like your skills deteriorate like instantly. Yeah. So you, you can't keep it up, but you still have like the ear and the expectations. So I just stopped doing it. But yeah, I'm... 
I mean, I'm singing, obviously. I'm just not singing as well. Mm. No, I got <laughs> so, it. Yeah, it's a muscle. You must work. The, and then you're yeah. like, why isn't it sound the same? Yeah, yeah exactly. Gosh, like, I, so I, I used to do this. Why is this not working anymore? Hit that note. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Okay, well, so bringing us back to tech, would you say that all of those skills that you learned when you're a musician, do you feel that those help differentiate you from your coworkers that maybe have taken a more traditional route to tech? I think the biggest difference is probably the perspective and the generally broader mm. horizon because I've done something completely yeah. different before. Yeah, the world outside of tech. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, it's easier to put things into perspective or I find it easier, I feel. No, I get that. But it's also like prioritizing is one thing that you learn because you have, oh. like if you're a singer, you can't practice. Violinists practice like 14 hours a day or something insane. Mm-hmm. But as a singer, your voice is worn out after two hours of like straight practice and you need to take a break. So you have to prioritize what needs most attention right now and then you keep at it. At least it's the discipline there and the prioritization so that you get the stuff done that you need to get done in the time that you have. Well, that's got to be so helpful in tech though, because that's difficult. Sometimes you're just excited about something you're building out. Mm. That really isn't how I should be spending the five hours of my day. When, yeah. but like, it's, if you're able to know that beforehand, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it definitely helps. I'm not perfect, so I don't do everything the way that I should perfectly do it. But uh, it, it definitely helps putting things into perspective and keep your eyes on the ball. But then there's also like, I failed a career once I and I had to burn like a lifelong dream mm. and I came out just fine you know even if not even better so again as I said I can pay rent now it's very nice mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm not that afraid of taking risks anymore I see that with a couple of my former colleagues and friends that are much more geared for change well, I'm just like, you know what? I fell flat on my face before. It's, it's going to be fine. Life will continue on. Yeah. Yes. I'll land on my feet somehow. That's a really good skill to have. That's huge. Yeah. You shouldn't have to fail like spectacularly for that though, mm-hmm. ideally. Because it's painful. No. Yeah. Well, actually, that lends us well to my next question, which Mm. is can you share any life lessons that you've learned from your transition to tech? I mean, yes. So, once you you usually fall on your feet. So, I obviously, I'm aware of that. I say that from a standpoint of relative privilege because I am in Europe and we have a working social welfare system and Mm. health insurance and things like that. So, your basics are covered, but there's usually there is the way. And then I think, like, for me personally, I would say, like, don't listen too much to what others think you can do and what others think that you're capable of because you don't really know that you're not capable of doing it before you have actually tried to do it and you have to keep trying it for a while and then one of the things that I felt I was very lucky with when I landed that first job here in Oslo that I was surrounded by people that I could comfortably ask all the questions also because I wasn't competing with them so I wasn't a C++ developer who had to prove that I Mm -hmm. was capable I could just ask them all the dumb stuff because I was genuinely interested and nobody expected me to know anything. So having those people around you who will happily explain all the things that you don't know or don't understand without thinking any less of you, that is really, really, really important. Yeah, having mentors, but it's safe to ask those questions around mm-hmm. and also people that don't feel competitive with, with yes. you. Yeah, I yes, think that's huge. absolutely. And for me, there was a, I was really lucky in the sense that they respected me for the work that I did with the community and uh, with the web development team that we worked 
with and how we build out that site because they were right. were not able to do that. They saw the value that you brought. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes. And they were perfectly fine with me not understanding how D-pointers work. So if I asked these kind of questions, <laughs> yeah. they were like, sure, why are you asking? Do you need to know this? And I was like, no, I'm just curious. No, I'm and just then, curious. Yeah. yeah. And then they were super happy to explain because they cared about this and they thought it was interesting. That's why they had that job, obviously. Sure. So that was very helpful. No, and I think collaborative learning is huge. And it's something that we need to pursue in those early days of yeah. learning. It's you don't want to feel on our own or isolated and to have people to learn with or workshop things against or to kind of yeah. just talk through those things. It's huge. Yes. At my boot camp that I attended it was a mantra. It was like collaboration, not competition. There is room enough for all of us at the top. We're all going to get jobs. Let's help each other out yeah. and work through it together. Because the moment you introduce competition into that, like early days of making sense of that stuff, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, some people thrive on it, but I just, yeah, there's something to be said about really working together on it. Totally agree. Totally agree. Which is also what I took into now when, when I, I set up this team. So we, like the latest mm. person we added to the team, she's, that's her first job as a programmer. But I had set yeah. it up in a way that I expected my more senior developers to spend time on mentoring her. It's actually in their job yep. description, in their contract. Oh, that's great. So to just set the tone here and say like, you know, she needs to be able to ask all these questions because she's still learning the ropes and you right. need to help right. her learn the ropes, which is a great investment for us. I think it's really smart too from that manager perspective to put that in as a part of a job description or like yeah. here as a part of your promo doc. Have you demonstrated the ability to teach someone else yes. or make sense of something or yeah. translate it to their style of learning so that yes. it's easier for them because that demonstrates an understanding of something. And so, yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah, yes. And I think it's also if you call yourself a senior software engineer, that needs mm -hmm. to be expected of you. Yep. I Otherwise, you're just a code monkey. Right. So that's not that's not the kind of people that I want to hire and work with because that's not very valuable for a company. No, I couldn't agree more. I'm loving talking to you about this because if we could all have great managers like that, you know, that's the goal. You should apply for the right jobs. That's like bottom line. You just have to apply for the right manager. That's how it works. That's so true. An important manager can make or break everything. And hmm. I've switched recently to that role and I'm constantly trying to think back to like, okay, what did I need from yeah. someone? I need an advocate. How can I be that now too? And so yeah. it's a big, big learnings have been happening for me. In yes. The I, I, for constantly, sure. <laughs> I constantly try to avoid to become one of the terrible managers that I had. Right. It's so. good to have some bad ones though to know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So can you tell me about a time that you felt like an outsider and maybe how you felt with those feelings? Yes. So in, in some sense, I think I was generally pretty lucky and fortunate to meet the right people. So when I, I mm -hmm. got involved with KDE and the community there, I yeah. I had finally found my people because they cared mm -hmm. about the same stuff that I cared about when they're like with my, like my opera friends, when I started talking yeah. to them or bragging that I could now configure my X server without looking it up. They were just like, what are you even, I doesn't make any sense when you're talking about. I couldn't care less. No, no. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, great, whatever. That was really nice. And again, I was, it's a really, really welcoming community, or at least at that point it was, I haven't been in touch yeah. with most of them for a long time, but they had set up the entire thing in a very welcoming and very open and equal way. Again, I was never trying to program. So I was never in direct competition with most of the other people. I was just helping them with the stuff that they were terrible at and that they knew they needed help with. So that was nice. But of course I had jobs before the one that I have today that made me feel like mm -hmm. an outsider and that was luckily 
already some years into my career. So it wasn't the first job that I got. So I could always fall back to that knowledge of, no, it's actually not me. It's not my fault. There's nothing wrong with me. It's just I'm in the wrong place or they are treating me in the wrong way or whatever. So I felt really, really lonely in some sense and uh, and, and undervalued and misunderstood. It's, a, it's not good feelings. So that, that's when I left, obviously because that's, it's not a sustainable situation to be in. But it's really difficult mm-hmm. to give advice here because I haven't really figured out how to deal with it. If it gets to you too much, you just have to find a different place or a different outlet if you can. Yeah. I don't think, if you get to the point where you start doubting that maybe something is wrong with you, you're probably in the wrong place. Yeah, but that's great advice in itself though, I think. And that's yeah. a really good self-check to do every so often yeah. and it's, to it's not internalize though. it. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. No, no, no. It's, really, it's saying, really hard. I think you even recognizing like, oh wait, I'm not that good at it. None of us feel very good at feeling like an outsider. It no. sucks, frankly. And yeah. so, no, totally. yeah, it, but I think you can mitigate it and, and find places where you don't feel like one as much. Yes. Yeah. So, but there's also like the other side of it. So when I, when I started at Vivio where I am today, I, I felt like an outsider in the beginning because I was like mm-hmm. the only really, or the most technical, most senior mm-hmm. person in that company. And I wasn't used to that so I was used to being surrounded by software engineers with much more experience and interesting a totally different level of skill like depth I would say of yeah. skill than I was suddenly I was on the other side which was also very strange but then I had the ability to change that trajectory and work on like managing up and like getting to know the others better and sharing knowledge I could change that particular situation but you're not always in that situation so in that sense I was lucky because I came in as like one of the people on the leadership Mm -hmm. team which gives you much more leverage to change your own situation you just have to be the boss and that's fine (laughs) that's (laughs) yes I mean yeah and find find great bosses as well too that care about it and so yeah obviously (laughs) so you should talk to your manager about that if it's getting to you and if they say like well I don't know what to do about it then that's also an answer for sure do you have any advice for those wanting to transition into tech that you could share well I think the, the most important starting point if you want to learn anything new if it's it's a transitioning into a tech career or something completely different is find mm-hmm. something you can that interests you so much that you can immerse yourself completely into it whatever it is mm-hmm. because you will have to put in a lot of work and time and effort so you have to have that intrinsic motivation of saying like yes this is really cool and I want to do this because that gives you the strength to put in the work and the effort and suffer through it because let's not kid ourselves there is some suffering in this mm-hmm. And then there is really no secret there. It's work and it takes time. So, but it can be done. Mm-hmm. You just have to be patient with yourself and find something that you really, really want to do. Yeah. So if you if you don't care about servers, you shouldn't try to become uh, like an ops person True. because that's what you're True. going to spend your time on. Follow your path. Yeah. yeah. So if you care about pretty websites, you should do that. Right. So test the waters of a lot of things mm-hmm. too, to know what's out there, because it's hard to know at the beginning exactly. Yes. And yes. people will ask like, oh, do you like front end back end? We'll figure it out by exploring both. Don't just pick yes. the first one you stumble upon either too. No, sure. exactly. And, and and also don't look that much about like, oh, but this will give me the best job perspectives. It's more mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. what do you want to spend your life on? And yeah. basically yeah. what worked for me really well was just following that trail of interest so like picking up the breadcrumbs on the way of saying like oh I would Mm -hmm. like to learn more about this interesting how what can I do how can I learn more about this what is what does my next step have to look like 
to get better at this particular thing and then transitioning through this kind of steps Mm -hmm. and give yourself the time to actually do it. I love that. Don't be. Yeah. Yeah. It takes time. It takes time. The patience piece is really, really important. There is such immediate gratification that can come when learning to code. You know, you're suddenly making your computer do something that before felt like magic, but yes. it is a learning process and it will take time and yeah. to be persistent in that patience. And it never stops. It doesn't. It really doesn't. That's also, you have, you, you, no, you have to be comfortable like with, that's why I'm saying like follow the things that I actually you find interesting yep, rather than definitely. looking for job prospect because you will just have to keep going at it absolutely okay Alexandra make your shout out what would you like listeners to go check out well so it's the time of the year where I say like you should definitely check out Rails Girl Summer of Code if you're already on your way and have started learning to code and or you're still yeah. learning by yourself it's really really great program if you're already on your way yeah. and uh, I think they have applications open at, still for a while okay I'll provide the the application in the show notes for Rails Girls Summer of Code yeah. for sure yes it's it's a very nice program where you basically like get introduced to open source projects and contributing to open source with coaches oh, and mentors right. and you're learning by doing while you get paid for a couple of months so you can really like cool. focus on this and don't have to do side jobs and stuff like that. How great is that? Yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, they just put out a message today that uh, despite all the corona madness, they're still planning on going ahead as they usually do. Also, if you have, if your company is looking for a sponsorship in this climate, regardless, they Mm -hmm. uh, are very happy to take new sponsors on board. It's it's really a great program. It's a great program. And then, of course, I need to give a shout out to all my great colleagues who are holding up like champs in this Mm. climate of utter chaos and uncertainty around everybody and like our lives being turned upside down yeah truly madness yes we are gonna get through this let's let's not talk about it right now (laughs) (laughs) i had the thought today there's so much content out there that is covering COVID 19 like our conversation today Mm. can be one that is like about yeah like positive otherwise and so yeah i appreciate you just like sharing your story and your journey because people being curious to learn to code or enter this industry that doesn't stop because of what's going on externally so i just appreciate you kind of taking the time to be vulnerable and kind of walk me through a to z how you got here because you were like total goals. And so I just appreciate kind of understanding, like breaking it down and being willing to share your, your failures or how you've learned from all those different experiences. So thank you again. I'm so appreciative, but where Alexandra, can people find you online? Well, I guess the best place is Twitter. My Facebook is dead and my LinkedIn is sad. So go and find me on Twitter. My handle is TrebleX because I'm making trouble. Also, the Germans will get the joke when they read it. Yeah, that's where I mostly hang. Okay, well, I will be sure to include the link to it in the show notes. Uh, But again, thank you so much for sharing all of your advice and wisdom. And I know the listeners will greatly benefit from hearing it all today. And thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Excellent. Thanks for having me. This was good fun. Okay, bye now. And that's a wrap on another episode of We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. Be sure to rate and subscribe anywhere you can find podcasts and check us out next week for another story and lessons learned from an unconventional path to tech.